New Year. It's good to be back. I can't tell you how excited I am. I started the day with a uh, a frenzy, you could say, like a shock and all approach. I'm going to tell you all about that. But before we get started with the podcast, I want to tell you a little personal story. It's a true story, by the way. When I was a kid, uh, I was a bit of what you might call a goober. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard that term. I think I was a bit of a goober. In elementary school, I was overweight. I had a speech impediment, which I still do have a little bit. Maybe you catch up on it sometimes. Uh, I was about six foot ten by the time I was eight. Not really, uh, but I've always been big. My shoe size did match my age, which didn't stop until I was sixteen. I'm not kidding. My parents were alarmed. I was concerned. God let it stop. I was also a year ahead in school, which meant that I was a year behind socially. And all that to say for many reasons, I never did many of the things that, that, you know, what you would say normal kids did when I was growing up. And I have to tell you, I'm thankful for that, even if it meant 10 years of suffering as a, as a goober, you might say. But one of the weird things that I did as a kid is I loved listening to people talk. And I could go into a whole psychological deep dive as to why, but uh, let's just leave it at that for right now. I did. I love speeches. And I especially loved talk radio. And, you know, back then there was this level of integrity. You've heard me talk about this before. It was honest. It was sincere. If it was an act, it was very convincing. I'm not saying they always got it right, by the way. But at least it was honest and it was sincere. There was a a trustworthiness to it. But it's always fascinated me the ability we have as human beings to create in ways that no other species can do. We, we all can also create desire in other people, which is profound. In other words, we can speak and influence other people. We do it all the time. You do it. Friends, family, work. We're all talking and impacting other people in some way. Isn't there something in the Bible about this? You know, the power of those words, there's a a real impact. Well, I've always felt a certain responsibility with that. And that's why I believe that integrity is so important, to just be honest. And as easy it is to, 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 to take that for granted, that's the way it should be, uh, there's not much around anymore that you can trust. Not much at all. And so my hope is to give you ideas that you can trust. That's my simple goal this year, to be reliable in an unreliable world, to do my little part in advancing everything that is good. It's an independent podcast. What does that mean? It means I'm free to say what's right, not what I get paid to say. I don't want your money. I just want you to enjoy listening, and maybe I'll inspire you in some way. Happy New Year. Let's get started. Warning, this podcast includes unapologetic logic and reason and may not be suitable for all audiences. In a world full of nonsense, he's been called the voice of uncommon common sense. He sees the abnormal that many find normal. Author and award-winning speaker, he is Chris You'd think a major war would be the biggest story of the year, but uh, in today's day and age of super drama, I guess a a major armed conflict seems to be many deaths, whatever that means. 
I don't know. Either way, the the the, the war in Ukraine is significant because of the way that the United States uh, is involved, unlike any similar conflict. You have troops there dumping money and and weapons in there. It's it's a, definitely a unique situation, but that's not really why I brought it up. One of the other things to consider about all this in terms of where it ranks, in terms of in importance of what's going on in the world right now, uh, is the threat of it escalating into World War III, not to mention the fact that the, the balance of world power is at hand. The United States became way too corrupted. The world knows it. The, the curtain has been pulled back. And I don't think it can be undone at this point. There's lots of little, uh, I don't know what you'd call skirmishes going on, little probing. This uh, Ukrainian missile, which is a Russian missile, by the way. And I, I want to just point out something fascinating uh, about this war in Ukraine. I mean, these are uh, people of the same cloth, if you will, fighting with each other. You know, this is as much a civil war, right, as it is a territorial conflict, this idea of, of independence. I have some fascinating stuff to share with you on all this, by the way. I hope you're interested in this. It's it's really, uh, I think, going to change your perspective on, on the whole thing uh, to a degree. Maybe not change what you currently think, but add to it, I guess I would say. But anyway, this... Um, the Ukrainians apparently, whether you know by hook or crook, they say they don't think they're saying anything. But you know, would you presume it was an accident? They're not really taking responsibility. But the bottom line is that this Russian missile ended up uh, bombing Belarus. Belarus is a beautiful little country, but I've never been there. But the pictures look fabulous. All these countries, really, you would think are going to want to be part of some kind of federation. Because on their own, they can't do anything. But then the Federation becomes corrupted. This will all make more sense to you. There's a lot I'm throwing at you here. But anyway, this Russian missile ends up in Belarus. Do you realize that the potential for problems? And you're lucky that it's Belarus, I guess. You know, what What does it take? Uh, you remember Saddam Hussein was doing this, launching missiles into Israel and, and other uh, countries. I forget where at the time. I guess Israel, right? And they were shooting them down with the Patriot missiles. Same game at the time. But anyway, the the question that I want to discuss today, because we don't really know what's going on. We don't have good data. I've heard 80,000 Russian troops dead. It's seemingly reliable. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. For Where's the funerals? Ukrainians, 100,000 reported. Where's the funeral? I haven't seen one military funeral on either side. You would see. think you'd see something. Some kind of symbolism of these these deaths, and we've seen nothing. It just doesn't add up. Now that I've said it, maybe enough people start adding, and they'll put out some propaganda. <laughs> show, them, show them some funeral stuff. They'll pull out some stuff from, from World War II and, and make you think that it's current. It's crazy what's going on, really, all of it. The risk of, of a massive conflict erupting. Uh, this change in the in the balance of power, the loss of faith in the dollar, you just go on and on. It really uh, walking on thin ice here with all this, Wh- whatever happens to be true about it. But the question that I want to ask today, because a lot of people are beginning to look at what Putin's doing, as is myself, and questioning, is he validated in doing what he's doing? I think on some level he is. He is. Is he telling the truth? I don't know. Is is it right 
what Putin's doing. And, and the, the question is, is it a just war or is it just a criminal act, as his uh, detractors would, would suggest, right? What is a just war? You know, you can't even really uh, do a search and get an answer to that question. Fascinating, really. What be, what makes something a just war? Here you get to get into religion. Right now, you know you know why they want you to get rid of the religion. I, I said that um, it's fascinating to me. You know, the re- Ukrainians are practically Russian. I really don't understand the whole ethnic breakdown and everything. But you, you understand what I'm saying? It's like Texans and Pennsylvanians to me. That's kind of how I'm looking at it. Am, am I wrong about that? The very close ties there, and look at what they're doing to each other. Imagine what people will do that that people that they don't relate to. Fascinating what a hostile place that the world has become, how nasty people have gotten. Really starts to, if if you're religious at all, if you're a Christian, I I think it really starts to bring um, many things that are in the Bible into a whole different perspective. Am I right? But what is this idea of a just war versus an unjust war or a criminal act? Was what Saddam Hussein did in Kuwait, was that a just war? I don't think so. I think there's these kind of acts of desperation that that he kind of got roped into there. I didn't really understand the strategic value of doing that. Uh, And there was a lot of weird things going on with that as well. Once the war machine got ratcheted up, it it was like uh, trying to get my dogs off a groundhog, if you know what I mean. Good luck. I don't know if anybody understood that little tie in there. Very few. <laughs> Maybe somebody will remember. I, listen, I, I put it out there a few times before, including last week, and I got a question about this, uh, that Putin did not provide notice before invading. The United States, before the Revolutionary War began, it's not that there wasn't nasty things going on, but he signed and sent the Declaration of Independence. Here's, here is our demands. Why do I say that that's so important? What does it mean? You say this before. When the ends justify the means, you're going to run into problems. It will corrupt very quickly, I believe, that way of thinking. Clear demands of the agreed to Russia to say, hey, you violated them. And he was saying these things, by the way. I don't deny that. In, in you know, disconnected different places over several years, uh, to be true. And I'm not taking anything away from that. I just, but but he, Putin was lying up until he was, he said he was not invading. He said they were not. Denied, denied, denied. Then they went and he said it was a, a special military operation. Whatever that means is the term that he made up. It's hilarious, really. Fascinating, even more so, how people fall for it. And Mr. Putin, the world's not going to respond uh, very favorably to a war, especially coming out of COVID. Well, tell them that it would be a special military operation. That's my best Russian accent, best I can do for you. But he was lying about it. Now, you say, well, we didn't, it's not like we gave uh, advance notice to the Germans when we uh, uh, landed at Normandy. That's a little different. There was a declaration of war, I believe, that was made to give an opportunity. In this case with Ukraine, and by the way, just to be fair, too, I blame uh, the United States even more than Russia for the... Uh, lack of any willingness to come uh, to peace. Look, uh, even if you want to say that, uh, you know, from the U.S. perspective, that it was wrong that Putin uh, did this invasion, um, 
Uh, I, and by the way, I don't think that on, on the merits that he was wrong. These ter- territories were contested. There's no doubt about it. There was a lot of fighting going on. The min- minx, 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 whew, tongue-tied there on that one. Agreements, whatever accords were not being met. Uh, the, the continued expansion of NATO. And this has been a problem with China, too. The United States has just been like the... The, the, the world provo- provocateur, 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 whew, I can't talk right. The great way to start the new year, tongue-tied. Provoking, I mean, the, the, you know, did you see this latest thing where they're saying that this Chinese plane came close to the United States? We've had, you know, entire fleets in, in the South China Sea. I don't know the exact places, but they, we've basically had China surrounded militarily for years now. And just to stay on point here, it's not as if there was no provocation for Russia. There absolutely was. It was fighting. Those were Russian-speaking areas. And uh, and I think part of the reason why Putin's hands have been tied a little bit militarily is that they're not willing to just uh, let people die, innocent people. I don't believe any of what's being reported. I believe it's all uh, Ukrainian bombing that's killing those people. I really do. And there's a lot of reasons that I, I believe that. You know, this is like uh, the wisdom of Solomon here. You know, who's remember the two women fighting over the baby? And, and uh, Solomon said, well, cut it in half. And the, the woman who screamed no, that was the mother, the one who cared m- more about the baby th- than herself. And I think you're seeing the same thing here. But I think Putin cares more about those people than, you, than the Ukrainians do. I don't think Zelensky... Or this regime, purely evil from everything I can see. There was, um, Glenn Beck did a talk. They are talking about the rise of this evil world leader. Maybe Zelensky is going to be it. I don't know. I don't trust the guy. I know that. But I, I do believe that Russia was obligated to make a proper announcement. And the lack of that... Yeah, um, you know, I believe even leading up to the Gulf War, wasn't there? Uh, I mean, it was. It wasn't that Saddam didn't know, right? There was plenty of opportunities for peace there, and there was there was no efforts at all uh, being made on this Ukraine thing from either side. It was just a lie and a denial. Almost seemed to be staged, coordinated. This is from uh, the Russian Times. Here, this is a good write up. Here they say, Russia warned NATO leaders against expansion in 2001. Britain, however, continued to dismiss Russia's concerns until Moscow launched its military uh, operation in Ukraine. It is a strategic area important to Russia, right? The the energy reserves there, there's nuclear power there, there's uh, farmland, which is much needed around the world. This is something else that's very interesting that Putin does a lot. He talks about this history. During the dying days of the USSR, Western leaders promised their Soviet counterparts that NATO would not expand into Eastern and Central Europe. As recently as this year, the United States denied that this promise was ever made and insisted that NATO's membership books must remain open even for states bordering Russia. Now, the argument has been... You know, on the pro-NATO side, there's a, no, NATO is a defensive organization. NATO does not plan, uh, you know, military strikes. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That's a very fine line. The, the European and American militaries are basically being trained, cross-trained, that they can seamlessly operate together 
as like a global force, as if they're under the same flag, which they practically do. It's already happened in in many uh, conflicts. The U.K. also dismissed Russia's warnings up until the start of the Ukraine conflict. Russia has expressed concerns about the potential NATO aggression, but we have been clear that those concerns are fundamentally unfounded as NATO is a defensive alliance at its heart. That was a spokesperson for uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson. The problem that Russia talks about uh, is that... uh, they say, look, these countries, once they become NATO members, they become beholden to the United States. The United States says they want to move missiles and they want to move aircraft and that you can't say no to it. The money that's coming in, the corruption, the, the way the Americans just come in and overtake. Interesting. And here's a great uh, movie you could check out. Uh, Ukraine on Fire. This, I think, goes back to the, the revolution that took place there. It's very interesting. It really is. It's uh, a a lot of uh, foreign uh, intervention, a lot of CIA and U.S. involvement in Ukraine. If they can do it there, uh, why couldn't they do it here? But I I think that everything that you look at is going on. When I look at these stories, look at both sides, from the American side, of course, that we see, look at it from the Russian side and try to find out what I can verify. And I think it's very telling in a, in a couple of simple ways. And first of all, there's just like this incredible arrogance, I think, on the part of the United States to think that it's acceptable that we're going to send the CIA in and go meddle in these areas for purely for political reasons. This wasn't national security. I don't believe any of these generals, any of these military, oh, strategically, yeah, strategically. That's code for it's politically going to fill somebody's pockets. That's all that was going on. Find one example of all this uh, American expansionism and what it did for the good of anybody. And this is, I think, partly what fuels the left worldwide. You know, if you're in Africa or Ukraine or wherever, you're watching all these resources, China, get shipped out day after day. You're there breaking your back. And all you see on on, on TV and video is, is American companies and, and fat, lazy Americans protesting because they weren't given enough free stuff, right? I mean, how does anybody respect any of that? I don't think you can, really. But this arrogance that the SEC's coming around, it's our way or no way. And I think that was born out of the Obama apologetics. Well, we need to do better. But we're not. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I hear you. Nothing's going to change right now. Males just get used to it. It's going to be our way. China also has an interest in keeping NATO in check. It's a struggle that we also created. North Korea, we've pushed it. Stop the damn exercises over there. I think that's really all that Kim, you talk about uh, provocation and, 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 you know, the other side not being heard. Why would you continue to run these these military drills in South Korea? You know, we would never put up with this. And that's another big point. I kind of mentioned that earlier, this willingness that our country has taken to go interfere and meddle in these other countries. Do you think that's right? You think that's acceptable? Is that how you want our tax dollars used? We want to talk about freedom. Don't people in other places, aren't they free to have their culture and their political systems as they see fit? And then 
The other thing that I see with all this, and we've talked about it a million times here, but uh, the power of the media and the disinformation network, it's crazy. It has CIA markings all over. It's almost like the uh, media is basically being handled by the by the military at this point. I'm not kidding with that. QAnon. I'm pretty sure Q was um, uh, what's his name, um, General uh, Flynn. I'm telling you, these generals they know how to use this stuff. This is exactly uh, what's been taught. This is the operation. You go in, you create confusion and chaos. And you do that by putting seeds of information out there and just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And it's the same thing that happened here. QAnon was just uh, brilliant, really, in that regard. The whole rise, and uh, he tried in his own way. So I would agree that Russia has a plausible concern for its own security. I mean, we don't trust the American government. Why would they? And I said, no, we're gonna we're here for the sake of democracy in Ukraine. Yeah, okay. Sell me another one. They don't care about democracy here. They're gonna tell me that that's the really what's going on. Meanwhile, there's like 400 bio labs around the country. I'm exaggerating slightly. What the heck is there? Dozens of of bio labs in Ukraine. They were Soviet. The Soviets were doing it. But the Russians. It's kind of my point. They've been playing similar games with us, right? We know this. We know this. I played that clip a while ago, that uh, former KGB talking about all these things that we see. It's like the Americans learned the game and, and just fell into the same trap. But the bottom line is that Russia can't be trusted either, at least not fully. I don't know how you say you can. So whatever justification that they offer now, is not what Putin said at the times. And even after they went in there, he was saying, now, you know, it's just a special military operation to take these regions. If they took those regions, shouldn't everything be purely defensive at this point? But he's been he's been uh, making these strikes inside of Ukraine, which I, I don't blame him, you know, but uh, it's going to cause a lot of damage, by the way. That could, we could do a whole podcast on that. But I think that this step of making clear demands, it's vital. And, you know, you don't want to give up the the element of surprise. That's the argument. You say, well, what was Putin supposed to do? Announce that he was going? Well, Biden was anyway. Zelensky saw the evidence that he saw and chose to act in the manner that he did, which I've said is just stupid. And now you're hearing some of these stories. uh, I think I forget who it was. Some high-ranking Ukrainian official was saying the same thing. That the lack of preparation was Zelensky's. It's like he was just inviting this conflict. Not even so much as a road bump on the border. The highways were wide open. Why would you do that? You see all this information. Why wouldn't you take some kind of uh, defensive measures, at least a little bit, to slow them down, make uh, plans? He didn't want to create hysteria. Okay. I don't know. But. Either way, if Putin had said, hey, we're coming in, imagine the pressure it would have created in Ukraine. And I, like I said, I think that he was really trying to act in a way that he would thought would be the least casualties. It was probably a mistake. If you look at it in hindsight, what Putin should have started with was the missile strikes and the softening of Ukraine, right? He should have said, listen, in my, this is just me. Uh, I'm not the president of Russia, and I don't, I'm not a general, but... I think Putin should have said, listen, 
you know, here's a clear list of demands. Here's the history for the world to see. And just start putting that out there. And either you get out of these regions and turn the and you know allow the the vote to take place, which they did, or we're going to take military action, and it's going to be dramatic. The the stress of that. So you could say, well, they don't want to give up the element of surprise, uh, but you could go the other way with that argument as well. I think that a just war requires that the demands be made up front or as soon as possible after the start of the conflict. Uh, Putin still has not done that. There has to be a right to cure, especially when you have a, one side has a, a overwhelming advantage, as in the case of Russia, which is why you have these alliances in the first place, right? Because there's always a bully, so the other ones need to, need to be able to gang up on the bully. But it, even now, Russia has not made any clear demands. If they have, they haven't been made uh, uh, publicly. And so as much as I'm critical of, of the Pope and others not doing more to call for peace, what about Russia's role in this? I don't know. It's debatable. You, what do you think? I'm asking you. Do you think that it was acceptable that what they did and how they did with what you know now? Are you softening up? Well, I don't know if it was so bad. Really? I don't know about that. If you were a resident there, living there, what would you what would you want? I don't know. We know we can't trust our media. We know we can't trust Biden. And we also know that we can't trust Putin or Russia. Where does that leave us in a real quandary for information? There's two other quick stories I want to mention here that coming from uh, Russia Times. One was regarding uh, Putin's New Year's address that uh, he gave, and he gave it in front of the troops. And I don't know if you saw there's a picture going around with Kamala Harris in front of some uh, Air Force service people. I think it was like all females, maybe one male in there. None white. Uh, they looked sloppy, I'll say, to say the least. Um Putin delivered his traditional New Year's Eve address, but instead of doing it from the halls of, uh, you know, the fancy buildings, he went and, and he spoke in front of these service members. I want you to, if, if you have a minute to go to the show notes and look at this link, and you look in the eyes of these people, and you know what you see? People. People. Humans. And, and it, it's startling to me that we've lost sight of that. Even the church, quite frankly, seemed to have lost sight of it. I don't know. You tell you look at the faces of these uh, young service members there in Russia, and you tell me what's different about them from our sons and daughters. Be hard pressed to find a difference. I think there's another interesting link here. I talked about Putin talking about the history. This is very, very telling. Um, doomed to fail. How Lenin and Stalin. Uh, created the circumstance that allowed for the collapse of the USSR. The, I wish I knew more about this. It's all fascinating. I've read Gulag Archipelago. I actually didn't read the whole thing. It's it's taxing. It's kind of just it's misery and human suffering at the hands of of horrible politics. Unbelievable, really. The ruthlessness. Um, in some ways, I think more ruthless than the concentration camps. Even both, just equally as uh, horrific, really the scale and the veracity of it. And who were these Bolsheviks? And uh, you'll hear uh, Semitic ties with all that. And I really don't know, to be honest with you, to speak about it uh, with any kind of reliability. 
But the argument here that's being made, and this is setting up something for the future, the argument that's being made is that Lenin and Stalin disagreed on, they basically wanted like a, a federation of states. This is fascinating. You look at the faces of the people that Putin's standing in front of, and you say, you know what, these people, they're no different than us. They have, probably have the same wants and needs. A future for their families, a reliable income, and some simple pleasures in life. Maybe a little bit of opportunity to, to make a contribution. Well, lo and behold, that even, even Lenin and Stalin, whatever corrupt ways they fell into, all they really wanted was a, was a strong unity among like-minded people, even if they didn't agree on everything. But the problem was that this, this, uh, it allowed these, these states, if you will, territories, whatever, to easily leave. And there was never the, the strong, centralized control. And that's what the Bolsheviks, I guess, sought to establish. establish. And they never could. Really fascinating when you think about it. No different, really, than what you, what we see and talk about going on here. Amazing stuff. That's the war in Ukraine. I'm asking you, is it a just war? Is it something that, that Russia was in their right to do? And do, you, do you agree with that? I say no. They should have given notice. I don't trust Russia, and I think we've got to be very careful with this whole thing. Things can turn very quickly. I think like a WW uh, Professional Wrestling whatever it was. There was. There's different ones, right? WWE, I don't know what they are. But it's like, now, you know, Zelensky and Putin are at each other's throats. Don't be surprised if the uh, tomorrow you don't see him uh, standing in front of a, a big whatever, shaking hands and kissing each other. Yeah, you don't think it can happen, right? Happens all the time. I don't trust any of it. So I had a little time over the weekend, and as I sometimes do, I was looking back through a little history, and I like to sometimes just compare... What was going on at different times at different points in history to what's going on today? And sometimes it's uh, you find uh, similarities and sometimes not. On January 2nd, 1974, Nixon set the national speed limit at 55 miles an hour. In my opinion, a foolish decision that would take uh, 20 years to fix that. 55 miles an hour. Who drives 55 miles an hour anymore? I mean, around here, people don't even do 55 on the residential streets, for God's sake. It was all done under the idea of conservation and fuel economy. A Republican. Imagine that. Uh, this is a very interesting story. In 1860, now this is going to sound like, you say, wow, we know so much more now than they knew then. Uh, but that's not the case. In 1860, scientists thought there was a planet between Mercury and the sun. They thought that that planet was called Vulcan. Maybe you've heard the Vulcans come up in like Star Trek. I don't know if it's the same uh, theory, but it was a mathematical theory. There was no observation. There was no ev- direct evidence. And the mathematical theory was based on the revolution of Mercury around the sun. Mercury basically rotates around the sun a lot faster than the scientists calculated that it should rotate. Imagine that. And so from that, they developed a very plausible theory that there was another planet. And this is a little bit beyond the scope of my physics knowledge. I apologize in advance. But I believe that what it was that that resulted in the dramatic change in that formula was the impact of all of the other planets on each other, that it's a system. And when you look at how Jupiter is perfectly placed, that Earth wouldn't be Earth without it. It's really amazing. It really is. 
But you look back uh, and, and, you know, you say, well, the scientists were wrong. There's no Vulcan planet there. But they've still been changing about this, right? We've went from 9 to 8 to 10. I don't know. It keeps changing. They find new moons. They find, oh, maybe the solar system goes a little further, goes a little further. Where does it end? I guess wherever the last bit of anything orbiting around the sun would be. It's all really very magnificent. It really is. How is it that people then were able to think in these terms and see these things and do these calculations in 1860 with a pen and paper? I mean, was the slide rule even invented in 1860? I don't know. They had different ways of, of, of measuring, different ways of calculating, different than, than we can relate to today. They say that necessity is the mother of all invention. I say laziness is as much a motivator as necessity. In 1956, this was mind-blowing. This was the decline of the world. A market date, January 2nd, 1956. I don't know if it was on January 2nd. Zenith invented the TV remote. Pure sorcery when you think about it. Growing up the way I grew up, our remote was my brother. We used to fight about it. It's your turn to change the channel. This was a big deal. We kept a calendar and a schedule, and you were expected to do your part. Zenith was a big TV maker, you might remember. And I mean that in the sense of, yes, they were big TVs. If you ever moved one, you know what I'm talking about. But it was also a big company. And so I guess they had the resources to invest in this kind of thing. And they started with a corded remote. Everybody moving in the same direction, ultimately, right? You sit down. It all started with that comfy chair and then that screen. It just kept getting lazier and lazier. Now we've got these headsets. People are strapping to their faces, and they can't get away from it. Cordless came about in 1956, and ever since, countless hours of humanity have been lost to looking for lost remotes. Do you realize that? We should have stuck with the corded version. There, there's you go. How do you create a better remote, one that can't be lost? That's how you do that. Interesting stuff when you look back at it. Look at what the, what led up to where we are today. So let me uh, throw a couple of other little stories and thoughts at you, and then I want to talk a little bit, uh, a little more on the personal side and what we're doing for the new year, all right? I'm not going to go in any particular order here. If you're wondering why the, the war in Ukraine is happening, there was this article, uh, I think one of the Russian generals speaking about a concern about what they're calling critical mass, where this conflict could just escalate completely out of control. I don't see a high likelihood of that happening, but it could. What I find interesting is that it seems to be that the population is going to go down one way or the other, that the globalist elites are going to have their way, that either you you take uh, whatever the pill it is to stop people from Stop the population from growing. Eh, they just start a war and wipe everybody out with that. Sure seems that way. I don't know. What motivated the Pacific Northwest uh, shootings on the uh, uh, electric infrastructure out there? This is a big, big deal. And, you know, and it seems to me it might just be back to the money. You know, I was like, ah, maybe it's uh, Russians or the global conflict, terrorism, political terrorism. Who knows? I don't think so. I think this is like the whole PFAS thing. Um, I can't get into the PFAS right now, but let me just explain this. I think that this is probably some group that's uh, trying to force uh, equipment changes, basically, that would be wildly lucrative. Imagine if this got to be a real problem and, and Uncle Joe has to step in. What's his only option? He's got to throw money at it. 
my administration <laughs> just spent another $1.7 trillion to shore up to make sure that we have the most modern electric system on the planet. And then they could suck in Texas and, you know, who knows what kind of conspiracy theories you could come out of about this. But the fact that they really have no idea, and they, I don't believe that they will. This is, listen, you're talking about a projectile from a, from a weapon, you know, hitting a target at, at probably a few hundred yards away. And now you're going to determine from the point of impact exactly where. And you might be able to come up with a general direction or some theories on where it came from. But you got a lot of searching to do to find out where the shot even came from. And then once you do that, you've got to hope there's some evidence there. That's going to, so I don't know, maybe somebody sees something, but you have to think that these actors have this pretty much covered. And it seems like they do, especially some of these that might be out in these remote areas. I don't know how you protect it. Really crazy when you think about it. Maybe they put uh, some kind of higher level of surveillance. I don't know. Opportunities, that's for sure. Did you see the story going around about Michelle Obama hating Barack Obama for 10 years? That that like, got spun out of control. Here I am. I hate mentioning these things because I see the, the media frenzy and I look at them like, what? Even Hannity, Sean Hannity, he's like, oh, what do you think we felt? We hated him for 12. <laughs> I don't know. It, I'm thinking, uh, what is the basis of this story? Why are we even talking about it? Who cares? Who really cares? Isn't it amazing? Nothing about Trump and Milan, Nothing, You know, here, like, oh, she hated And it, it fits the mold, right? If he said he hated her for 10 years, oh, what a scoundrel. But for her, oh, what a strong woman to put up with him. And, and keep, this fits right into the, the, the women's lib movement there. Paul Pelosi, uh, Judicial Watch is suing to get all the information. Why don't they release it? I don't know. Anti-Semitism on the rise in New York. Here it is. They say com- committed by other minorities. Fascinating. You mean black people? Blacks committing uh, Asian hate and anti-Semitism and anti-gay hate, by the way, in most cases. This is just the demographic truth. Prove me wrong. Uh, Speaking of acts of terrorism, I'm saying to you that I think that the uh, attacks on the electric grid could be more of an economic opportunist than it is uh, some kind of political movement. Uh, But who knows? In this case, Carpenter's Hall in Philadelphia, which is where the first Continental Congress was held, was set on fire over the New Year's weekend. Why is that exactly? Well, maybe it's Antifa. Here was an Antifa member. This is a, a, fa- a fascinating story. This is recently, she got in a big brawl, uh, attacked this woman. You should see this lady. She makes $20,000. She's awful looking. I don't mean to, to talk like this. I know this creates a problem. Let, let me say it better. I, I don't see her as really being uh, what I would call physically attractive, but I wouldn't normally look, honestly, for that kind of thing. But anyway, she has an OnlyFans account. This is hilarious to me. I guess if, if she said she had a Pornhub account, that would be distasteful because Pornhub is disgusting. But OnlyFans, where it's, you know, mostly, I don't even really know what the what the difference is. I guess OnlyFans is acceptable. Maybe that's more what that whole thing was about. More of a, uh, now how many people are going to go look at her OnlyFans account after seeing that story? I'll bet you a lot. I'll bet you a lot. Did you see what happened with the whole uh, Trump subpoena and the and uh, uh, the January 6th hearings? They're not going to subpoena him. 
They've released the tax returns saying really nothing. Now, there's uh, many on the far left, MSNBC, Chris Hayes, others, they're out there saying, oh, he's going to get indicted. This is They're just clearing the table. And it'll be, well, a simple, unified effort, to it's, he's going to go down. He's going to be indicted. And I haven't heard indicted for what? Well, what do you mean? Lying, cheating, stealing, ruining the republic. He's a threat to democracy. Hmm. Those, those don't sound like charges to me. But anyway, we'll see what happens. They go ahead and they release the tax returns anyway. Purely a vindictive remo- move. They've had all this over-analysis on this. It's really fascinating, right? The, 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 spin, the only spin that they could put on it, oh, I don't know. He might be in economic trouble. What are they so concerned about his economic problems for? Isn't that what they wanted? Why isn't it? You know, I remember going through this back during the election. Hillary published hers. I went, nobody was looking at him. I said, why isn't anybody looking at him? I looked at him. They made, her and Bill made like $10 million. I said, how can this be? Nobody's even talking about it. Trump lost money while he was in office. And they're like, oh, look, see? See what? Unbelievable. But you got a lot of people like, oh, I knew it. You knew what? That he was fighting for the country? He's going to turn it around. My guess is after what I saw this weekend, I think Trump's going to be the next president. We'll talk about it another time. Pete Buttkeg's going to get the boot over the Southwest debacle. Uh, some of the ranks are being thin. There's been an alliance made. Trump's going to have to cut a deal to get in. We'll talk more about the politics of that. There's plenty of time to get into it. I saw this uh, photograph uh, posted on Gab, and I wanted to talk about it here for a second. It's a church that's for sale, has a for sale sign on it, and also has a Black Lives Matter and a rainbow flag on the side of the church. And the post was, uh, you know, uh, maybe there's a connection, basically, that these churches that have gone woke are going broke. And uh, is there a tie there? Uh, Possibly. Possibly, where the church has, has, you know, walked away from uh, what it's supposed to be true to. I I don't really judge that. Uh, And I'll say this. I don't celebrate in the demise of the church. It's horrible. Uh, Are we lacking a proper spiritual grounding? I think you'd have to say we are at this point. Why is that? The death of the Catholic Church that became corrupted in its own way, which is still spilling over, right? We'll talk about all that a lot more in the days coming up. I promise you that. But I have to end this podcast at some point. I want to talk a little bit about something else. Uh, I was looking at um, uh, real estate listings, watching prices around here and you know you hear this talk about how the uh you know the, the, the housing slump i'm not sure that we're really seeing that here i'm not i'm not really sure i don't have the, my best finger on the pulse i see listings that are lasting a lot longer uh it seems the days of multiple offers and the, and the opening weekend are gone but prices are through the roof and uh particularly on new homes i was looking at a, a town home townhome, and this was not a luxury townhome. $5,500 a month payment on that thing. Here's what blew my mind. The floor plan of that townhome was the exact same, not the exact same, but more or less the same as my very first townhome. I bought it in New Jersey, Delran, New Jersey. And I look at that now and say, this is a starter home, $650,000. I took the price that I paid for that starter home, and I use 3% inflation. At a rate of 3% inflation, that house should sell for $280,000 today. It's selling for more than double than that. What does that tell you? 
I've brought this up before. Even with the stocks, they're like, oh, this real estate's outperformed inflation year over year over year. What does that mean? And it's gotten incredibly expensive. Giant, giant price bubble. Maybe, maybe. I don't know that I can reliably say that. I was saying this in 2008 when all of these uh, credit default swaps were coming due on these commercial-backed mortgages uh, that, that need to be refinanced because they have balloons. And you know what? It all got worked out. There was no crash. The prices never went down. They never did. And they find they, took, they were stagnant for a while. Financing might dry up. The banks said, we're not going to lend that up, but the prices won't go down. They can't. There's too much demand. You're going to need cash if you want a house. That's what's good. The, the, the supply that was already low is getting destroyed at. I was looking at a, a, a 600,000. This is leading up to what I really wanted to talk about. I just find this fascinating as I, as I watch what's going on. I spent a lot of years in, in real estate development and, and home sales and home building. And um, I'm not as plugged into it as, as I was. I would tell you exactly what the average days on the market. Now, now to these days, I'm not. But I look at the prices. I'm thinking, am I wrong? Am I, no, these prices are way inflated, way inflated. The desperation, really. When I look at the floor plans that they're offering, to, this is the kind of thing you do to get the prices down, like to the minimum. And you're at six fifty. Uh, I was looking at a six hundred thousand dollar single home on the outside edge of the county, which used to be much less expensive. Now this is not a new home; this is a used home, a one third acre lot, five thousand uh, square foot house on a one third acre lot. Most of it's second floor. They put the front entry garage in, and they put the bedroom over the garage, and you get a giant second floor. Everybody lays around in bed all the time. Not even an outdoor room on this thing. 30 feet between the houses, 70 feet to the back back fence. And why do I bring all this up? Well, people are not getting outside. You see it with the modern housing trends. Uh, you get the multifamily, the expensive multifamily. A lot of it now three stories for the, you know, they're appealing to the younger crowd. They're going with this three-story townhome design. Nobody's going to get a, maybe a rooftop deck, a deck out the back. I never see anybody out on those things. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. You go out there to eat, but that's not what I mean by being outside. I mean, be outside working, hiking. And that's what I really want. You've got to get outside. It's got to be part of your, your health regimen. It really does. And I, I told you I was going to hit the ground running this year, and I did. I got on the scale uh, this morning, Monday morning for me, as I'm recording this. And I didn't gain as much weight as I had feared that I did, which is good. Close enough, though. I took a little video here in the studio. I took my shirt off. I take a little video. That's the reminder. That's the motivation. I asked myself, how does this happen? But I know it's, it's, this is a routine that I've been, in, been through many times. Every time I go through it, I say, I'm not going to do it again. I do it again. It's just me. I live my life a little cyclically. I get in shape at the beginning of the year, spring. I hit the ground running. And then as we get into summer, I kind of start to slack off and head into the holidays and usually finish up the year fat. (laughs) It's just the way I like to do it. I gain about 20 pounds on top of the 10 that I just keep around. You know, so 30, 20, 30, 40 pounds we got to drop. And I've got it down to a science. I'll talk more about the details, but the big crux and the point that I wanted to focus on today, that you've got to get outside. You've got to get outside and, and walk or do something. Biking, I guess, okay, run if you really want to run. As you get older, I'm not a big fan of running, but whatever you want to do. Go walk hills. Just get started. My thing now, I'm just, um, right when I wake up in the morning, boom, get up, stretch, 
and just go walk a quarter mile just to loosen up, do my stretches, do some squats, just 10 minutes right outside. That's my routine right now. Uh, I grabbed this article. I have it shared here in the, in the show notes. It's from backpacker.com, uh, how to get in shape for hiking. And I want to share a couple of their ideas, and I want to share a couple of my ideas with you. And as we go through here for the next 30 days or so, I'll continue to share some of the details of the things that I do. And you can decide for yourself if it works for you. If uh, there's any interest, I'll publish. I have a little booklet that I created, and you can kind of follow the same thing. So here's some of the ideas that Backpacker puts uh, as far as getting in shape. Run or walk in sand. It builds the muscles that protect your knees and ankles. This is a great idea if you have access to that kind of thing. Uh, Build a range of motion. Get a resistance band. Uh, Standing on a tennis ball. Some of the things they recommend, doing crunches, doing squats and lunges, push-ups, cardio, and step-ups. So let me give you mine on this. Uh, Now, I've got uh, really sensitive joints, I guess you would say. Uh, Arthritis, really, is just going to be the the downfall of me. Um, And that's one reason to get your health in order, by the way. Eating a um, a diet that's not so acidic and uh, not so inflammatory and you can cure a lot of that arthritis. You really can. And the reason that I have it is because of my sloppiness. I'm convinced of that. Not the only reason, but it's a big part of it. So uh, I'm a big fan of doing squats. And I don't do squats with weight on my back anymore, guys, just to be fair. I just do body weight squats. Uh, I'm 52 tomorrow, and uh, my knees are, are shot. I don't want to get them replaced. And I'm just really working on a range of motion and basic stability and strength. And if you look into it, really, you should be squatting every day. Just squat down if you could hold that for a few minutes. Phenomenal for your health. It's such a simple thing you can do for your ankles, your knees, your hips, especially men, your back. It's very good for you. Uh, there's a lot of easy ways you can do this. I'm not, I have trouble with the lunges. Uh, my knees just can't take it. Uh, I do the lunge more as a yoga pose where I'll do a lunge movement and then twist to the side and hold it. I don't do lunges in the normal sense. Push-ups, if you can't do push-ups, which chances are if you're out of shape, you can't do many. So do them on an incline. I do this all the time in both directions. Nothing wrong with it at all. Start on the the counter in the kitchen. Just do 100 of those. Do a little cardio. Walk on the hill. That's a good one. Step-ups. I'm not as big on the stepping up. I would be careful with that. I think it's hard on your knees and your joints and your back. Uh, You want to add a little resistance? I'll tell you what I would recommend. Do a little farmer's carry. I'm going to try a little farmer's carry just with um, 10 pounds. We're going to work up to that. I'll let you know how it goes. But there's a couple of ideas for you. Look, it's the whole package with this. You know, when you get outside in that fresh air, it's uh, it's good for you, you, you mentally, physically, emotionally. All right? This is what uh, you really need to be uh, thinking as a basis for your overall health. Okay? So let me, let me just give you something to, to, to think about, right, before I let you go here. I hope you, I hope you enjoyed everything that I had. A little perspective on Ukraine and a little bit of intrigue to get you thinking about your own health. You're not going to do exactly what I do. I'm not telling you to. But if I can get you thinking about the mobility and stretching and getting outside in your health, no matter where you're at, maybe you're completely out of shape and maybe you're in better shape than me. Many of you are. Either way, a lot of these things you could take and you could do and say, okay, what can I do in terms of habits to create the lifestyle that is going to give me a fulfilling life as much as is possible, uh, if, as much as I have a hand in it? 
right? You don't have complete control over it. But as much as I have something to do with what the rest of my life is going to look at like, I'd like it to look pretty good. I'd like to think I've got a few more years left in me. can't believe I'm talking like this. So let me, let me leave you with this, a little something to think about, all right? Just want to peek your brain a little bit. What does it mean to even be happy? What does it mean to be, at your point in your life, what does it mean to be happy? You know, if, if you're a 25-year-old male, it means sex. If you're a 35-year-old male, it means money. If you're if you're a 45, I don't know what it means for women, I'm, I'm a guy. I'd have to look into it a little more. If you're a 45-year-old male, you desperately want money, money and sex, I don't know. 55, I think your perspective starts to change. But no, in all seriousness, what does it genuinely mean? You see, you see so many successful people, and their lives are a train wreck, right? What does it mean to be happy, enthused, energetic, pleased to be able to have some kind of pleasure? How do you have pleasure when you're in pain? How do you have pleasure when you're out of breath? No, it's all tied together, that healthy aspect. You're going to feel more pleasure when you're in better shape and you're taking better care of yourself. You're going to naturally be more energetic, which means you're going to naturally be more enthused about probably everything. It's a big deal. And so you see all these successful people. They're overworked, malnourished. They look like hell. Their, their lives are train wrecks. And I wanted to say this, point number one, everybody goes through bad spots. In fact, some people have really crappy lives. It's true, you know, whether it be the, uh, I hate to say this this way, but you may have a disabled child that creates a whole different lifestyle than what you ever uh, bargained for. And there's there's lots of things. I don't mean to pick on disabled children with that, but you understand what I'm saying. There's things that happen to people, burdens that they carry, that they carry their whole lives. All right, but either way, point number two, there needs to be a way of looking at things that allows you to work through the struggles, to deal with life, and to be able to benefit from pleasure when it does come your way. And we call that attitude. It's how we process things. Cynical? Is it good or bad to be cynical? You say, well, you're always looking at things negative. You always don't trust. Is that good or bad? I think sometimes it's protective mechanism. I think being cynical is good, quite frankly. I think that is a good attitude. But the point is, I don't think about attitude in terms of good or bad, but what is the best attitude, okay? And I'm going to give it to you, a little piece of simple advice before I let you go here today. Here's what it is. I want you to think about this. Avoid temptation. Do what's right. Do the best you can. Stay away from the things that you know are going to be self-destructive and harmful to you. Do what's right, even when it's the hard thing to do. That's how you self-respect and you do the best you can. You'll have no regrets, and that's the key to living a happy life, I'm convinced. And get out. Outside. God willing, I'll be back tomorrow. I sure hope to see you there. In the meantime, make it a great day.